so there was a high level of trust that was built. It was a high level of, of creative uh, respect and a high level of feeling like we, we were just speaking the same language, not just in terms of the game system language, but in terms of what we wanted to, what we wanted to do. And that minimized that social navigation that can sometimes infect uh, a role-playing session where sure you're you're playing with someone who's nice and, and you like them and, and 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 they're good people but like there's just something you know you're not calibrated the same way about what you want from the game and what you want to do and by some miracle that calibration was just there very very quickly so it was just like a it, it, everything was just in tune um it's so hard to quantify yeah like like uh frustratingly hard to quantify Hello Rescuers, my name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost role-playing games hobby. I've sat on the conversation you're about to hear for far too long. Back in late September, I hopped online for a conversation with Augury Ignored, the voice behind the Augury Ignored blog. Links are in the show notes. Thomas, for that is his actual name, reached out across Mastodon and we hopped online to chat. It was a first-time conversation between gaming strangers, but it was a hugely influential chat for me. Without this conversation, I don't think Roleplay Rescue Season 13 would have started. I'm not sure why I haven't shared it earlier. Perhaps it was something that needed to percolate. I don't know. I thought about cutting around in editing, but in the end, I just decided to post it as it happened. I'm not going to spoil it, although... Some of the deepest comments from Thomas arrive around one hour into the conversation, so it's definitely worth sticking around to hear those. Big thanks to Thomas for coming on the show. I hope you enjoy it too. This is Season 13, Episode 7, Augury Ignored. So, hi Thomas. Um, Thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. How's things? Things are things are good. Just uh, recently returned from vacation, and now just yeah, ready to ready to reinvigorate and restart some gaming. And uh, yeah, fresh with ideas, fresh with uh, thoughts, fresh with uh, lots of half baked blog posts. Um, <laughs> and yeah, oh gosh, there's so much to like, so much to tackle. I don't even know where 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 to start. But uh, yeah, how are you? I'm good. I'm I'm sort of in the. I guess I'm coming up out of a dip in uh, you know everything hobby, but it's good. Uh, back mm-hmm. at work, which is always good fun. <laughs> he said lightly, ruefully. <laughs> I love what I do, but oh my god. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean there there's a, there's a there's a roof when it comes to work and fun. I think uh, how much the two can truly intersect. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I, actually, it was quite fun today. I had. Uh, two separate classes uh students from two separate classes today come to me and go when's the games club back sir when are you doing oh that? cool which was kind of neat that's cool 
and uh, I mean, uh, uh, an endorsement of your participation as well. If they're clamoring, there's riot in the streets for you to get back at. Uh... Yeah. Well, one lad is like going, I've got a whole campaign I want to run with my friends. So we just need like, uh, it doesn't occur to them that you could just run it outside of school. You know what I mean? Like, oh. It's quite funny. But, um, you know, as I was like, well, you can do that at home, you know. But, well, yeah, but some of my friends I like, only really see here because I think the point is that the school's a meeting point, you know. Anyway, I've, I've got this whole campaign to get over the summer, so I really want to play. So it's like, okay, that's cool. Uh, I'll try and get a room sorted. So, yeah, it's been good fun. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, though, that 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 attitude, because I think there's, um, especially when we start playing role-playing games and when we start role play, playing role play games, I think a lot of people like there's some social setting like a school or an after activity club or something like that, and that the role playing game, the experience of the whole thing becomes very tied to that. So it, it's uh, it's in a weird way understandable that that he's not you know considered that he can take a a proper step outside of that 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 area. It's interesting. Yeah, it is actually yeah when you think about it, but I think a lot of it as well is that like a community school. It's in the heart of a sort of, uh, you know, city. And, um, you know, I think like for a lot of these kids, some of their friends are like just next door or a few doors down, but quite mm. a few of them might be across town. And actually that's a little bit more complicated for an 11 or 12 year old to sort out than they might. I don't know. Back in my day, I would have been let free and my folks wouldn't have bothered about me going all the way across the other side of the city to see friends. But these days I think parents aren't always as, as uh, you know, open to that actually so i think so maybe it's quite possible that uh, you know yeah some of the friends are like this is the safe place and that's what it feels like but uh, yeah who knows yeah no it makes sense and that's uh yeah it's it's i mean geography is just a factor there too um i mean i i i grew up in a uh traditional danish suburban neighborhood and you know which meant that uh you know, the school was within walking distance. And I remember talking to some American acquaintances. And when I said that, oh, yeah, I mean, I walked to school since I was like, you know, six. And they looked and they looked at me as if, you know, that was the most horrifying thing they could imagine, like sending your child alone at age six to school. What were what your parents thinking? Yeah. Uh, as if I'd be, you know, kidnapped along <laughs> the way. Uh, yeah, I used but, to uh, walk. I used to walk three miles each way to school. So, oh, um, wow. You know, so what is that half an hour or something each way i suppose you know it's not too difficult but maybe about 40 minutes something like that but um yeah when you got a bike you know we got cycles eventually that was kind of fun yeah but um you know i used to go around so my friend lived five minutes from the school door so we used to go around his place to play and it's like go around there and then play and then go to school and then come back and play around his place and then go home um and what's interesting is just like uh, these days, I think that not necessarily families don't necessarily have a space. I was really lucky. He had a room, they had a room, a sort of dining room in their house that would, was okay for us to use most of the time. You know, like, mm. I'm not sure every family has that. So, and certainly in the community I'm working within, it's, we, it's one of the poorest communities in the UK, uh, according to the government anyway. Um, so again, I think homes are perhaps smaller and, you know, mm. and and people just don't, really have the facilities that perhaps the big school room i'm in offers you know and maybe that's a big thing as well so yeah if it's if it's if it's one of the again geography the physical surroundings are such a an integral part of of, of this hobby in ways that mm. i don't think are are always properly discussed or or even seen noticed even yeah, it's, yeah. Uh... it's interesting because they get they can get like big so we've got like uh 
you know, school desks, which are probably about two meters long, maybe two thirds, a third, no, probably about two thirds of a meter. So it's not 75 centimeters, you know, two meters, so maybe, maybe a meter by two meters, maybe not quite that. Anyway, put two or three of those together, got a nice big space, nice chairs, get around, you know. I don't know how many people have got a sort of eight meter table or something that they can fit yeah. together, you know, and get like anywhere between four and 12 kids together to play games. So yeah, that's probably a big deal as well. Plus my room, my room is air conditioned, which is always nice. Oh, well, lovely, lovely. Yes. <laughs> big plus, big so, plus. Yeah. No, plus again, there's, there's, um, I mean, oh, sometimes my heart breaks sometimes when I see, um, cause I have, uh, encountered kids from kids and young people from, from less, uh, less privileged, yeah. backgrounds than myself and and um that lack of resources just both in terms of space but also just monetary resources can mm-hmm. be uh it can be it's already a hurdle because i mean role playing is is by by many measures of can or can be a very expensive hobby and so can work gaming so can a lot of these 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 traditional nerd hobbies i guess but um role playing especially when you grow up on the assumption that oh okay it has to be you know we have to have a miniatures board. We have to have painted miniatures. We have to have all, you know, you can't, we can't play on this. We get spell cards for every class and like all this, there's all this paraphernalia that's essentially paywalled. Yeah. Um, yeah. But where I, f- I feel like there sometimes is, is a, I mean, it's partly marketing, it's partly, partly culture, it's partly whatever, but there is sometimes this, this idea that, oh, you need these things to, to play. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, that the role-playing industry outside the indie sphere necessarily always does a good job of of conveying that oh actually all you need is some graph paper and a pen and dice and your friends that's yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't you know if it, honestly dice is a big so like giving so one of the things we do at the school club is that if kids come for the first time i give them a set of dice give them a set of polyhedral dice now that's about maybe two pounds or something about 52 pounds for a really cheap set of dice mm-hmm. i get them from amazon big bulk but for them, that's a really big deal. It's membership. You know, it's like yeah, they have yeah. dice now and they take them home. And I have had a few families that have been in touch, like parents will be in touch going, it's okay for them to keep, you know, they're kind of expensive. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> they're bad and, now. Uh, absolutely. And they've got that set of dice. And when kids lose their dice, obviously they get upset about that. There's an attachment straight away. Um, but then when I was get so what I've been doing is decluttering my own collection. I've been taking games in and giving them away. So it's like oh. I took in like five E stuff because I stopped playing it, and big, doof, there you go, ten times nice. of, of uh, you know, do what you like with it. And one of the lads, older lads, taking it away and started running a campaign. And then that's oh, cool, that's good. Da, 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 da. That's good. Um, but you know, again, like maybe one hundred and fifty pounds worth of book you know that you just sort of give to kids that's a huge <laughs> deal and so that's what's great about the patreon so where the you know I, I think my patreon is something like about 50 pounds a month or something from this 40 or so people who support roleplay rescue and most of that money goes on basically every now and then hey have a book you know and and i think that's a really big deal for the kids and it's really nice to do and when the kids yeah. go like how do you afford it and i'm like uh kind of partly i'm clearing out the clutter of things and that's like because i just waste money on things um but also uh occasionally you know there's people who who like support the school club so basically like we'll give them give you some stuff and that's really neat um oh, i love good. that I love, nice. that I love about a community that everybody kind of sees that as a good thing you know let's give teenagers stuff um 
of course what they do with it is it's kind of fun um, <laughs> I mean, that's that's uh that's that's for them to decide we we older yeah. people can't uh can't judge too much i guess no absolutely anyway we're kind of totally off on one so what did you want to chat about yeah i mean i think it's uh it's uh it's a wonderful confluence of things because I've been uh, I've been listening to Roleplay Rescue the podcast for years. I've been reading the blog for more seriously for a while now, and uh, I just find that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of echoed sentiments, and there's a lot of uh, shared shared I won't say necessarily shared experiences, but certainly shared uh, themes, shared sensibilities, shared anxieties. Um, mm-hmm. And I find it interesting how, again, also reading some of your stuff that that and, and listening to some of your stuff that that um, we come we've come to slightly different uh, conclusions about about things. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's it's, it's ground for mm. uh, for learning and and for essentially improving our games. I guess. Although I don't really. Quick aside there, I I've I've tried to not frame so much of my role playing discord around the idea that I need to improve my game because um, I think that that's a fundamentally somewhat competitive way of putting it as if that um because because i realized i don't want to talk about role-playing games the same way i talk about my sports you know mm-hmm. um because i it, it just it just puts me in a in a in a mindset where i'm i'm focusing on the wrong things i i always end up i feel like um because it's not a, it's not a competition role-playing is skill-based sure and i don't mean as in character sheets have skills on them but it is it is a, a hobby that requires certain skills and those skills can be honed; they can be improved. Um, but the idea that that oh, there has to be this pressure to improve your game. Um, it's a, it's such a it's such a hard swamp to navigate. As soon as you then start to ask, what does that mean? Because yeah. there's a, there's there's a I mean, we're both uh, small small drops in the big pond of, mm-hmm. of RPG blocks and advice. Um, Frank, and some of it is bad advice, but but appears to be good advice. Some of it is great advice that appears to be bad advice, and and everything in between. Yeah. So improving your game becomes not just this this self reflective thing. It becomes partaking in this vast discourse of of an exchange of opinions, exchange of of, of stories, and I. Uh, I just, I just, I think I just started thinking about like I follow so many blogs and like try to keep up with so much here and like, and shockingly few of them actually are, well, they say we we call it actual play, but shockingly few of them are about what is actually the output of a role playing game, and that is a, yeah. a shared story between people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's good reason for that because that is the one. It, though it's the primary output of, of role playing games, it is almost the one thing it is impossible to get other people excited about unless it's presented really, really well. Hmm. Um, there's, I mean, it's a huge cliche. The whole oh, I got to tell you about this awesome thing that happened in our game, and it's all and and like nine out of ten times it'll be you know it'll fall flat and and it has this whole oh I guess I guess you had to be there feeling hmm. to it. Um, and that's just the nature of the beast. Um, I'm one of those people who I like the lame anecdotes. I like hearing, you know, yes, give me a 30, 40 page summary of your of your last session. I want to read it. I want to know what were the, how did all this unfold? Um, so that's what I've been trying to think a lot about recently. Like, what is what is it actually we're talking about when we're talking about improving our game? And can we rephrase that in some way? Hmm. And 
in general, trying to find more um, positive attitudes to gaming because there's so many pitfalls socially, mentally, in terms of system, in terms of whatever that are just uh, just quite such, such quagmires that are hard to get out of. And I, I've been in, in the quagmire one too many times. I've been in them enough that I'm like, I don't really want to go in them again. I want to just, I want to, just, I want to just play. And I don't want to second guess myself constantly yeah. while I play. Yeah, yeah, I get that. It's kind of pernicious, this whole, like, uh, improve your game thing. It's quite pernicious, which I'm coming to the conclusion of. Five Years of Old Bay Rescue has kind of taught me that, um, that, that lesson, you know, it's kind of, what what I'm wanting is the experience. I'm I'm seeking a particular kind of experience, I guess, which is really hard to codify and, and get to, but I'm getting closer and closer to. Um but it improvement's not quite the right word because it's more like a sort of a refining. And by that I mean it like a literally burning away the excess and getting to the gold. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, it along the along the way what i'm discovering is actually there's a lot of like thought and assumption um that it, we, we carry around you know that perhaps there's actually some of it's been dumped on us or given to us by other people we've internalized some of that advice that you've heard about out there and maybe we've tried some different approaches you know and, and some of them don't resonate don't work for us or you don't enjoy you know but we still feel yeah. like we should do them <laughs> that, that's the right way um and if you you know me you know that um the one true way is not something i am interested in talking about oh, me neither me neither yeah. i i and i think that it's a, i think it's a very um it's a very self-defeating uh thing to try and find that approach because it doesn't exist it it uh it's um Oh, sorry. Where, 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 I, I, I might have caught you off there. Did you say, what do you have more? No, I was just, I was just kind of wondering, really. Like, okay, so where is it that we've intersected? Because um, I know, I know, I think I've got a couple of ideas about where that's happened from conversations we've had online. You know, and it's, but it's great to get onto this conversation. I mean, I know that we are online right now, by the way. But you know, what I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, instead of uh, exchanging mastodon comments, it becomes like, ah, we can talk, right? So, what's the intersection? Um, where have you? Kind of run into my stuff and and sort of feel like we've got something in common yeah um i think a lot of it is in what what initially caught me to to like appeals to me a lot about uh role play rescue listening to it was that um i was i, I was drawn in initially by by the sense that oh here's someone talking about role playing from a very vulnerable perspective and i don't think a lot of even very very good role play pundits, if you if you will, or, or commenters or create or content creators or whatever you want to call the people who make role play podcasts and blogs and whatnot, mm. whatever whatever the the non offensive title for that is, um, there is uh, musings can be vague, music can can be unspecific, and so on. But the format of the discourse this is not unique to role playing, but it's just mm. the format of internet discourse and the way information is disseminated tends to favor bluntness and steadfastness and uh, a certain confidence, real or not, in what you're saying. Um, 
And that means, as again, I mentioned, I mentioned just that, that there's a lot of bad advice and like a lot mm. of, of not particularly well-reflected advice floating around there, but it's delivered with such confidence that people can't tell the difference. Yeah. Um, so I, it was it was very refreshing, first and foremost, to listen to someone talk about role-playing in a way where there wasn't this, and I have, I've got, I've got all the good gold nuggets, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna drip them out for you, dear audience, if you, if you subscribe, and, and then you will also achieve, you know, gaming enlightenment, because, hmm. um, uh, and, and, because I don't believe in gaming enlightenment in the first place, so, it, uh, it was, it was very, very refreshing that there was uh, a perspective I could actually relate to, not just as in terms of the game, but actually as a, well, as, as a person who think about games. Um, and that very, very quickly came into, then came, arrived at the, the, the subject of what does it mean to be immersed? What does it mean to play strategically? What does it mean to play a war game versus a role-playing game? Can you play a role-playing game as a war game? And can you play a war game as a role-playing game and vice versa? Why do certain elements seem to sometimes detract from that experience and sometimes really improve it what are what is this this strange alchemy that that that's going on and it was um it was really refreshing listening to to that and and, and engaging with that in a way where the answer wasn't just you know some new commandment that had that had not yet been uh spread to the masses um mm. Because I think that that there are things about this hobby, by the nature of it, that we have to figure out on our own. Do you enjoy second to second combat with with ha, with lots of hit locations, and do you in or do you enjoy combat that's you know to oppose d six plus modifiers and then a menu of options for that? And there's no wrong answer. <laughs> it's the thing. Um, I don't believe there are wrong answers in that sense, but I do believe that there are still bad answers depending on context um so to speak i think there are uh many pitfalls in role playing um but i've also come to realize that some pitfalls just don't bother some people hmm. um which is uh someone who spends a lot of brain energy thinking about role playing it's a very frustrating conclusion to come to because it feels like i've spent all this mental energy trying to trying to we give it like improve my game, and here you are, you you Philistine, just saying that you are fine with a little bit of of you know railroading from your GM mm -hmm. when things when things go. Here you say you're fine with you know fudging monster HP because the the story has to continue, and your group is fine with it too. This is ah, uh, and and that's um, I'm I'm over that frustration now. But 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 what meeting that in a sense mm -hmm. was um, uh, was enlightening. Yeah. Because it gave some perspective in in that so we just talked about this idea of of improving your game and what does that actually mean and it, it forced me to really really reconsider what was the attitude I was going to uh, approaching my games with because um, I think there's a certain there was a certain element of of jealousy in a way to see that oh my god these people are having fun how dare they because yeah. I'm not I'm not having fun despite all this massive amount of brain energy yeah. I'm I'm uh, I'm committing to to this hobby and yet here they are just rolling dice and having fun and not really caring about a lot of these things I've spent a lot of time caring about um and I mean and in the role-playing discourses in the in the in the blocks and in the in the talks and whatnot you very very rarely see these perfectly imperfect 
gaming groups and and situations be represented because a lot of I mean, people who care about stuff will write about stuff. That's why we're writing our blogs. That's why all these bloggers are writing their blogs. But ironically, the most one of the most invisible groups in role playing are the the happy majority, the happy but silent majority mm-hmm. who just play and have fun. And the, the thing I've noticed as well is that many of us we GM, mm-hmm. um, and again, the silent majority is players who don't GM. Aren't particularly interesting GMing, just having a fun time. And like you said, don't care really how my GM runs the game, particularly as long as we have a laugh, <laughs> you know. So yeah, that's all good for me. I think like, the thing I've realised over the last few years is it's not the answers that are important; it's the questions. Mm. At least that's how it feels to me. And so I am constantly asking those questions. But like all philosophers, I've come to the Socratic conclusion that the more I know, the more I realise I don't know. Oh yes, um, yes, you know, same. And I think that 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 just gets worse. Like every episode by episode by episode, week by week in my hobby, I get more a sense of like, I really have no clue what I'm talking about. Um, It's this this fractal lag of knowledge you feel Mm -hmm. as it's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but weirdly, like if I sit down to play with people and I feel confident enough to run, the feedback I get increasingly is, ooh, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sitting there going, no, it isn't. (laughs) <laughs> because you know i can see the flaws um so yeah okay cool um I'm, and it's great that you know you've listened through the show and stuff so um so there's this vulnerability and there's no answer well there's not actually answers particularly um but we're raising these questions about like what does immersion and all that kind of stuff for you tell me a little bit about you and where you've got to in your hobby like what's the journey for you being um where did you start and hmm Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Because um, it'll just help me understand where you are. Uh, it started with the. Um, it started with the uh, like I I, I say probably with a lot of people the um the old uh, fighting fantasy books adventure books choose your own adventure books which in Danish were very very popular. There were Danish translations that that were actually quite popular, and it, it in Danish it was called Svart uh, Holdon, which is uh, swords and and sorcery, which is an I mean, a very generic title when you think about it, translating back into English. Yeah. But I mean, it was, you know, for us as kids. Um, <laughs> and I, I did those with my, with my, I have an older brother who's three years older and he would, you know, he learned to read and, you know, do maths and all that before me. So he would, you know, he would essentially play and I'd be the the annoying little goblin looking mm-hmm. over his shoulder and trying to parse out what's happening because it was so exciting. Um, and then I got a little older and kind of, feeling like I was getting a little bit tired of, of, of these choose uh, your own adventure books, then fighting fantasy again came to the rescue because uh, they did. I thinking back, I don't honestly know if this was a anthology of stuff that was originally in English or if it had an equivalent English products from the beginning or whatnot, but they did a book that was essentially create your own adventures. I think it was called, which was how to run fighting fantasy with a GM and with players and more free form and yeah. improvisationally and so on, so on, so on. Um, and that just caught my imagination yeah. like nothing had before. Yeah. So uh, in English, there are sort of two books. There's the 1980 something, 92 fight and fantasy, like, which is that, which is like, like telling you how to run games. And then there's an, like, I think it's about 1989 or something like that. There's Dungeoneer, which is sort of an update of that. No okay. set of rules. 
Um, but the earlier book is probably what you're talking about, or it's likely to be what you talked about translated, because that's very much like you play these fighting fantasy games now, how to here to run it with your friends and GM and write your own. And so yeah, it probably is the similar product. I can't imagine they would have written a separate book for just yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I just feel like I, would, I wasn't really familiar with the the, the original publication histories. I just wanted to like, yeah, I suppose the because it's happened before that stuff's been cobbled together for another language market and whatnot. But yeah, um, so that's cool. So you got into that, and so did you start running or did you just play? Oh, I, I, I almost immediately I was I was running. I yep. was um, I wanted I had that sense that uh, oh, in inside me are all these uh, all these unrealized ideas and unrealized worlds and i want to see what happens when we when we actualize them in some sense um so like as soon as as soon as that happened i started you know drawing dungeon maps and illustrations and uh you know little, how how 10 year old me's terrible yeah. rendition re- rendering of what you know the entrance <laughs> room to this magnificent dungeon was and yeah. and my my brother going i can't tell if that's a statue or an actual monster you need to draw better um <laughs> And that went on for a bit of time. We, me and my brother, we did a lot of um, stuff. We kind of used that as a framework. We, you know, we tried to homebrew a magic system inspired by Warhammer Fantasy, and we did we did all kinds of experiments that that you know, what kids do with this kind of stuff. Um, then and then this has got to be two thousand two thousand one or two thousand two. I don't remember exactly. I don't recall exactly. Um, was where because I was in a home with an internet connection. My, my parents were both, uh, both working in, in the tech industry. Yeah. Uh, we're at that point. So we were, we were pretty early out in having an internet connection. And I uh, discovered that when I was looking into role-playing games online, people kept talking about this thing called Dungeons and Dragons. Right. They kept talking about it and they were banging on and on and on about it. <laughs> and I spotted in our friendly local gaming store one day, the, uh, Collected box set for 3.5, the right. core rules, the, the player's handbook, mm-hmm. Dungeons Guide, Master Manual. We know him, we love him. And uh, I uh, made an impassionate plea to my parents that this was a would make a fine uh, present mm-hmm. if if I, even if it meant skip, skipping my Christmas present for, for yeah. this year. Um, and they relented and they, uh, I got them and started playing with my friends and my brother and some of his friends and some of our shared friends and whatnot. And that was pretty much like three point Dungeon Dragon 3.5 was pretty much the role-playing game we played then growing up yep. until when and how old I mean, like till I was what fifth, 15, perhaps 15 or 16 mm-hmm. when I uh, discovered GURPS and then I had a long and, and, and turbulent love affair with GURPS. Um, played it a lot in uh, in the Danish equivalent of high school, um, uh, but never felt I played it well, which is the mm-hmm. I think a thing a lot of people sometimes experience with GURPS. Um, and then there was a small break from role playing because I felt like when I started university, I uh, rather the latter year, last year of high school didn't play much then university i started kind of dipping my toes back in heard about this thing called dungeon world mm-hmm. decided to give that a shot and ran some unsuccessful games and that and then uh slowly meeting more people at university who were curious about role-playing games who had various levels of experience mm-hmm. that kind of uh 
set the stage for a renaissance in in role playing games uh, for me. And since then, it has just been uh, a journey with ups and downs, and exploring mm-hmm. whatever I could get my hands on, trying to run the types of games that I wanted to run, and discovering Burning Wheel, which was also uh, one of those perspective changing games, and, and still one of my favorite games. Um, discovering Apocalypse World, discovering uh what are other like good examples of really my life my life my life with master which is uh, fantastic and mm-hmm. other other titles that uh lots of indie title lots of osr mm-hmm. stuff as well starts without number became a big like favorite in my gaming group and rediscovering traveler also a little bit and uh, since then, I mean, my my physical library of, of gaming books isn't as, as big as I feel like it ought to be, but that's because I, I mean, I'm, I'm born in the 90s, so I'm of the PDF generation, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, since then it has been all over the place, really. It's It's been, I've tried to play everything I can get my hands on. Um, not played all of it well, but certainly tried. Mm. Uh, and yeah, right now I'm actually I have a campaign that's on hiatus and I'm a player in Paul Jennings game yep. uh, and he's been a player in mine and we've been me and, and him and our, our third our third uh, group member has been, been playing for gosh a year and a half two years I don't know mm-hmm. time time flies um, <laughs> and that has been some of the best uh, that has uh, been the best the best gaming of my life uh with, with those guys so far it's been uh just amazing um there's a there's a one of the reasons it's been amazing is be- it's not necessarily because of the, the games we've been playing in terms of, of the rule system it's because there's a there's a fantastic chemistry and the fantastic shared creative space that we are all very comfortable letting each other into which has also been a perspective change because i mean i had a yeah. period in university where i thought like ah i mean can't play a good role-playing game unless it's a good system. What does a good system mean then? And then you're down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And um, yeah. So yeah, right now I'm in a I'm in a weird phase where I'm I'm trying to kind of decide what to what to play next. Uh, <laughs> which I think is a question always at kind of the back of your mind. But um, ran ran a, a against the Dark Master campaign for a while, but it's a little unclear if that'll be picking up soon again or not. Um, running a fantastic one-on-one burning wheel game that is also unclear whether they'll continue. And then I got my, the Monday group with, with, uh, uh, with Paul and, and John and yeah, then, so there's a lot of, uh, I think that's also what kind of provokes this whole, this whole curiosity about reaching out right now is this, 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 there is this uncertainty in a lot of my gaming right now about what to do next and how to, and who to play with and should I find new people to play with? Should I find uh old friends to play with? And what if my old friends that I used to play with now, you know, now they like, I don't know, Pathfinder second edition or something. And I <laughs> Okay, so it sounds like you're in a similar place to me, which is in a place of hiatus, you know, like mm-hmm. I literally just put everything on hold. Um largely because I mean for me, I just got to a point of like, I'm not even sure what I'm doing kind of thing <laughs> it's kind of a strange thing um but actually in the last few weeks that uh some things are starting to become clearer again so yeah it's nice to have a conversation with somebody who's also on the hiatus um and some of my best games have been fairly recent but uh similarly to you like there's a whole different a, bu- 
a bunch of approaches and things that I've been mucking around with. And um, yeah, it's got kind of a, a mixed bag of results, I suppose. Um, so I yeah. can relate to that. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, I'm wondering how I can help. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you're uh, that's why I'm here in Roleplay Rescue. I want you. I need, I need you to rescue my game, Jay. Um, no, 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 no. So, well, good luck um, with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, it's uh, I just, I mean, this is the thing. Also, I, I mean, that's why we we're on Mastodon. That's why we have a blog. That's why we're on all these things. It's it's we're 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 the type of people who also enjoy talking about games, even if it's yeah. in a purely hypothetical fashion. Um. And sometimes good ideas spring from that. Um, sometimes less good idea uh, ideas, but often good ideas I find because it's so easy to get so myopic about um, the games you want to play. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a, it's a common it's a common sin among, especially the the forever GM types of 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 the hobby to have like this uh, this wide whale campaign, the the game they dream about and that they are uh, some someday darn it I'm gonna run it. Um, <laughs> Won't be my next game. It probably won't one, but like, but one day, one day, darn it, I'm gonna run it. Mm. Um, and in my experience, these games will will never materialize um, mm. because they set themselves up to fail from the beginning. Because there's a cool idea for a game there, but whether or not it's conscious or not, by thinking too much about that idea, we have we've already exhausted all the awesome we think is in it. Mm-hmm. And very, very likely, if if a player does something that's that's no matter how awesome or cool or inspired, if that's disruptive to this to this idea of the white whale campaign we have, then oh, it's no longer the white whale campaign; it's ruined. Uh, now my 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 dream ca- campaign is down like the Hindenburg, and and I have to you know think up a new, yeah. a new a new idea. Um, Essentially, it's the, um, it's that prescripted. I I consider it to be a bit of a fallacy, but that. Like the idea of like can prescript this campaign, mm. um, and essentially what you then well I feel my experience of that has been um, very much that you end up essentially uh, forcing the players to go down a particular approach, and like you said, if they don't follow that that road, as it were, then you feel disappointed, frustrated. You know, um, they're spoiling it, mm. um, and it's, <laughs> you know, and so. I guess where I'm at is is the sort of like the absolute opposite of that. Like you want a cool idea that sparks some creativity, um, and then you've got to go and see what happens with it. Because the vulnerability, from my perspective, is that I have this cool idea and I'm not sure if it's going to work or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if it doesn't work, if it doesn't kind of take off, I'm often disappointed and I beat myself up because I'm that kind of person. Um, but actually getting used to the idea that I'm going to try this thing out and I'll see what happens is the right, for me, I think, probably the right thing to do. Absolutely. Um, you know, it becomes this, we can make, can we make this flourish, you know, together as a group? Are we interested yep. enough? Um, and what I find is actually often, more often than not, these things do bloom um, or begin to. Um, and if only we can stay with it. <laughs> yeah. Know. No, I think I think I think I think blooming is a good is a good word to to use here because I think I think role playing games, role playing games are are I mean, role playing is a weird medium when you think about yeah. it because kind of going back to this idea of of game ideas. So very often the the we have this sense that okay we have an idea 
that's inspired. Here's the thing, not inspired by role-playing storytelling, but inspired by storytelling from some other medium. Oh, I want to I want to run a Lord of the Rings game or Lord of the Rings S game. I want to run something that's like Blade Runner. I want to run something that's like Alien. Um, and that comes with a lot of assumptions, a lot of expectations about how is that story structured, what kind of characters uh, is appropriate for this kind of story, what plot developments would be acceptable to this template of story now. And uh, so there's this whole preconceived notion of, of how a story like this should unfold. And, and the thing is, that's just not how role-playing games work. <laughs> and it's such a... Uh, one of the things I love about role-playing games is that it can do things that no other story medium can, which is it can take, it can take that idea, that setup, that premise... And, and something will bloom from it that's never been seen before, even if it takes maybe a handful of sessions, even if, if the ball needs to start get rolling. But but that that power to ask, mm -hmm. here's a, a premise for a story, and I don't know how it's going to go, but let's, let's find out together, mm. is entirely unique to role-playing games to, 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 to a large extent. Um, and by dreaming of these, these uh, white whale perfect campaigns or perfect games i think i think we we run the risk of, of really taking that away from the from the medium from the from the very medium of role-playing games and and kind of, of of weakening that part of the experience and to me that's an integral part of the experience yeah i'm wholly with you on that i think i don't mean it's taking me like years to figure this out but like the books movies tv thing for me is like a whole distraction like don't get me wrong, I love movies and books and TV. I think, oh, yeah, yeah. think you should watch them and consume them. And that there's all sorts of great inspiration that will come from that, you know, but uh, I really think it's a bad idea to go, I'm going to run that, <laughs> you know. And that, and that's why, I, to be honest with you, now I've got to the point where if someone brings out, like the Alien RPG came out, and I did buy it, but it's the last one I bought of this type, you know, from Free League um, and the reason it's the last one is because I realized that every single time when he, like the Blade Runner come on came next and it was like, yeah, that would probably be a really cool setting for a game, but it can't be Blade Runner because there's too much baggage with that for me. Mm. And I know I understand that as I understand it, like really going to done amazing things with that, you know, but I feel like, nah, that's going to be too much, but it's far more interesting for me to do a sort of cyberpunky inspired kind of setup you know um and then not call it blade runner at all thank you very much um and then just like those influences from that and from william gibson's stories and from other sources can inform the genre mm. but ultimately like no don't don't go too close to any one of those ips for me because yeah there are traps they're like Venus flytraps for me, like Star Wars is a big Venus flytrap for me. Oh, that's yeah. yeah. This is interesting. This is interesting because I have, I have, uh, I've thought about similar things, and I have, um, I have a very ambivalent relationship to uh, to this kind of thing to to the the licensed slash established setting um, because oh yeah, Star Wars is such a good example because Star Wars is huge, um, yeah. but. Yeah, even something like uh, like like Alien or Blade Runner. What I what I I've heard great things too about the, the Alien Alien and Blade Runner games, but but the feeling that that kind of frustrates me about them is that yeah, but but 
I get that. I guess that what people want from this game is what it delivers, and they want something that's comparable to the Blade Runner mm-hmm. movie as it as it as as they understand it. Um, and that's fine, I guess. But again, it's 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 like, is there that much? Uh, is there that much material that that can last a campaign? Like Blade Runner is based on a novel that's when you actually read it, quite short. Like to enter a stream of lecture sheet is not a it's not a thick book, um, and Blade Runner is very much about moodiness and atmosphere and and the the, the in getting a sense of this world. And ironically, it's very much a, a story not about agency, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the most important things in a role playing game. Um, so there are some of these settings and some of these worlds that I feel like. While I could see them, a role-playing game replicate some of that experience, that experience is just not what I would like a role-playing game to engage with. I don't, I don't really want to play Blade Runner's mm-hmm. uh, themes and story because I think, in a way, you're also kind of doing the original work a disservice. Then, because you're taking, you're stretching that material potentially really thin in order to justify a product. Yeah. Um, from what I've heard, Free League have have done amazing stuff with there, and I have not, nothing against their project with it. It's just not really me. Yeah. But conversely, and this is where uh, I, I expect someone's going to accuse me of being a hypocrite. Um, one of one of my favorite recent RPGs uh, is the Dune RPG. Right. Um, and what I love about it, what I think it does exactly what I would like a licensed RPG like this to do, is that it allows the players and the GM collectively through some mechanics in the game that allows them kind of share creativity mm-hmm. and whatnot and whatnot to explore this very, very idiosyncratic universe that is loaded with potential we have not seen in the official works and, and kind of attack that from whatever, whatever angle they want. Um, the assumption is that you play a, a, a noble house in the, or that all the players are, are have yeah. a shared identity as members of a noble house. Um, but there are, you know, there are supplements if you want to play spice smugglers. There's supplements if you want to play fremen. There's supplements if you want to, you know, change that up a little bit. And the fact that it takes its setting and takes a non-prescriptive approach to this is mm-hmm. how a story in this world should unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, here are actually the tools where we make the setting your sandbox. We make you. Mm-hmm. The, the group and the players ask the interesting questions rather than having already baked into the setting because of its mm. nature already asked all the interesting questions. Yeah. That's the, that, that's the key difference for me. Yeah. Um, okay. Does that make sense in any way? Am I? Uh... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I haven't seen really looked at Gene. I'll be honest. And this is heresy for a lot of gamers, but <laughs> I don't get Gene. So, um, you know, I mean, I've the books I've read some of, and the films and things are oh, the last film I kind of enjoyed ish. Um, but you know, I don't get it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Ask me about <laughs> Tolkien, very different, but. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but part of it, I think again, is like, there are so many things in the, in it that I, you know, that are questions that I don't, that, you know. but anyway, putting that aside, the thing about like here is a, a space for you to play and go do it your way like it really appeals but then of course the question for me becomes like why don't you just go do your own thing mm. but of That's course the fair. the immediate answer to that that comes to my mind is because doing my own thing is really terrifying um you know so like i can imagine like having the framework like the setting of dune 
uh, and that whole universe behind you and then some guidance on how you can make that your own is like way less scary than create your own universe mm. you know so yeah, it's, <clears throat> you know and it, it's it's a that's again a um kind of what we what i touched upon uh the the idea that that i i think there's a huge difference in what potential for this exploration and play different universes have mm -hmm. again i don't think blade runner really has that much potential for anything other than you know if, as we talked about that kind of prototypical uh mm -hmm. cyberpunk story that is that it's kind of mm -hmm. become whereas um something like dune something like tolkien something like star trek something mm -hmm. like star wars one of the things that i think is are attractive about the game settings is that they they are big they are vast and there's mm -hmm. a lot of inferential potential in scenarios you could posit here where mm -hmm. if you have a group and people who are familiar with that there's a lot of that like work in world building that will just have been done for you you can you can yeah. lean much more effortlessly less much less demandingly into that um which is why you know in a it's a i i think i think it's 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 a good it's a it's a fair point why not make your own thing and that's the thing because sometimes um and it's not something I've done a lot because I haven't played a lot in, in licensed mm. settings or like in, in other people's mm. worlds, if, <laughs> if you can put it like that. But there is a certain power to leveraging that baggage mm. because let's go with the Star Trek example. If, uh, if, if say, we want to play a Star Trek-ish game and, uh, you know, has 12 session in it, but, but, but this is our original world. This is our original universe. It's not Star Trek. It's Star Trek with the not with the serial numbers filed off and and all that. But it's Star Trek ish, <laughs> and um, you know, twelve sessions in, someone says, you know, that they, they we 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 get a message from headquarters, and it's a grave looking admiral, and he says that um, uh, the Kaborians have uh, crossed the uh, demilitarized belt, and everyone's like, who are the Kaborians? Why is the military? Yeah. Oh yeah, okay, that's why. It's, okay, cool. Yeah. But if you're playing a Star Trek game and 12 sessions in, get a message from the animal saying the Romulans have crossed the neutral zone. Everyone will, oh, that's shit. That's real. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there are ways to leverage mm. the established setting for, for dramatic effect in a way that, I won't say it's impossible, but it's certainly very hard to do from a setting that's done ground up for for that game, for that particular yeah. thing. And I think there's, there's, a, there, there's a power to that that's very... It's very attractive and that's very mm. in the right hands a very very powerful tool at the table mm. yeah and i think you're right and i think but of course the the trap the venus fly trap for me at least i feel is that you don't do that in fact you do start just kind of going to the like the movies so if you're running star trek you start having right i gotta have a crew and a starship and one of you's gonna be the captain one of you's gonna, you know and you you structure your group and your game around like on the next generation or something. And you, you're doing that thing where, you know, they're going and that, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's essentially you get into this kind of mindset of, I've got to make it like the TV show. Mm. And, and actually that's not quite what role-playing games do. So, yeah. you know, um, I'm not saying that the crew structure is a problem or that the, like playing captains and all that is issue or even it, having missions like on the tv show is a problem but you know in the star trek universe what would be really interesting to me might be something like um actually could we could we do a story um or could we explore a bit of the the the, the canon and law that hasn't really been touched on you know yeah yeah TV? exactly yeah um you know what happens to um 
I don't know what happens when the um you know those soldiers from the Dominion got cut off at the end of the Dominion War. You know, like what happened to them? Like, you know, what happened? I mean, did the obviously the Jemadar just died out, right? Or did they? Um, you know, and of course, what the TV show has done quite cleverly recently is start picking up on some of those threads and doing those things with like Picard and other shows. But of course, role playing role players can do that all the time, you know, and and also, I guess you can kind of go anywhere you like in the history of the whole thing and spin mm. a spin a tale and then pull a strand somewhere you know one of my most successful personally my most successful game was a one-off scenario i ran in star trek which was from the enterprise c episode from um the like next generation there's this episode where the enterprise c comes through the whole universe changes and uh the suddenly the like the whole reality has changed and the enterprise d is fighting a war against the klingons and they have right, to send yeah, yeah, and the solution yeah. spoiler the solution is send the Enterprise C back. But the one session I ran that was really fun was that battle when the Enterprise C got back. And of course, did it from the perspective not of the captain and the deck crew, but actually of like lower deck somewhere where they go back and then there's Klingons, you know, Romulan, sorry, kind of like piling onto the ship, you know, beaming onto the ship and killing people. And we just had a big fight and then like they died because we knew that was, was going to happen. Um, and then it became kind of like a couple of the guys got off on an escape pod. So it became kind of like players started to do things like, um, what happened to those two? Well, let's find out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah like, exactly. Yeah, we, yeah, those those um, unanswered questions. Yeah, and we of, can start yeah. telling those stories. And because you can just pick that thread and run with it. I and mean, we didn't particularly for very long, but I do remember like that those games are really, really strong. Like you, you take something from a, a, a universe, you know, and you run with that yeah little question and again it comes back to the thing i said earlier about like really good i think really good learning comes from asking the right question yeah you know, no, I, th- I and I, I think i mean asking questions is a, is a key skill in role-playing games mm-hmm. um and one that that uh, i i feel like there's uh, there's some people who intuitively get that i feel like there's some people who understand that oh to get the best experience we need to to ask the best questions that we can and there are some people who there's a lot of complexes I feel some people have about about questions, either because um, I've certainly had talked to people who feel like asking questions is bad because it it they've had they've had GMs reacted very negatively to like having to, you know, I, I react with an eye roll like oh whatever like weren't <laughs> taking seriously that it was being asked a question because they wanted to engage in the in the mm. world, but yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 interesting <laughs> with that because I'm I have I have I just have one one quick addition mm. to the Star Trek uh, thing mm-hmm. because I uh, I mean I'm 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 I haven't watched too much of of, of the of newer newer Trek but like Deep Space Nine one of my favorite TV shows of all time it's brilliant um, and I you know wasn't particularly excited about the new Star Trek RPGs from Modifius mm-hmm. or or whatever but as soon as I saw that there was a uh, a Klingon variant variant for playing mm-hmm. Kling- a Klingon house or a Klingon vessel. I was like, I want this. I want. I want. I want to play this game right now. I want to. I want to play with 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 a like a handful of other Trekkies. I want to. I, I want to. I want to play the Klingon game, and I, I don't care what else is going to happen. I just want to play it. Um, and that I realized like this is this is like such a fanboy moment. Like, but it must be that kick. I guess some some people also just gain from like, oh, I'm just so excited to be playing a Star Wars game. I'm just so excited to be playing uh, 
Wheel of Time game. I'm just so excited to be playing a Game of Thrones game. However weak the game then might actually be. Um, so it's, it, it, it's, it, it's a double-edged sword, this whole established for a licensed world thing, because I think there's a lot of power to mm. draw from it. There's a lot of tricks you can do with it. But there's also this... Um, I don't want to sound mean, but like this, this slightly like, uh, you know, not particularly creative approach to it, where it just becomes it very it it runs the risk of becoming another you know piece of fan paraphernalia. Yeah, yeah, um, very soon. And 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 that and that that like always like puts me off a little bit. Hmm. Okay, so I want to ask you a question about like you've been having some of the best games of your life recently with Paul um so for uh just for reference we we're talking about paul jennings who wrote primeval journeys um and you know also wrote it was writing shield war i think or something like that i wrote called. um paleolithic bridges yes paleolithic bridges that's right not journeys um so yeah what's made those awesome so you said it's the group yes it's the um <laughs> i'm sure the game designer will be delighted to hear it's not the game <laughs> it's not the game <laughs> well um <laughs> it's uh i mean obviously it's it's always a combination of, of both but because the, cause the yeah. first game we played together was um was a burning wheel game that i that i gm'd mm -hmm. and that has i believe it's somewhere on the internet i can't remember exactly what, what forum but um uh john is an amazing note taker games and he uh, was the, the the chronicler for this campaign that is on some forum somewhere i can't remember which one but the whole thing is chronicled people can read it if they want to mm -hmm. um and it was such an eye-opener into what um what happens when i very actively try and listen to my players yeah in a way that that's not possible in a lot of systems it's possible in, in burning wheel what happens when i play with players who completely share my attitude about what how should this game system be used and what should be done with it and and how can we yeah. make a story with it um what happens when i play with people who are who are patient and understand that some of these things in the system take are a bit of a slow burn they the ball needs to get rolling mm -hmm. a little bit and um it became this uh it made me more safe feel more safe in doing things I perhaps would have hesitated doing with, with players where I was unsure how they would react to it. Yeah. And there are a couple of, of twists and turns that happen in the story where like right before I was about to you know, spring them, I was biting my nail thinking, are they going to hate this? <laughs> are they going to think what that this sucks? This just sucks. Yeah. And that never happened. Um, yeah. So there was a high level of trust that was built. It was a high level of, of creative uh, respect and a high level of feeling like we we were just speaking the same language not just in terms yeah. of the game system language but in terms of what we wanted to what we wanted to do and then minimize that social navigation that can sometimes infect uh, a role-playing session where sure you're you're playing with someone who's nice and, and you like them and, and 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 they're good people but like there's just something you know you're not calibrated mm -hmm. the same way about what you want from the game and what you want to do and by some miracle, that calibration was just there very, very quickly. So it was just like yeah. a, it, it, everything was just in tune. Um, 
it's so hard to quantify yeah like like uh frustratingly hard to quantify yeah i mean i have a theory i mean a big part of the theory is that um there's a sort of like it's about the group um first and of course this is chicken and egg territory because you're not going to get the great great group if you don't have a game for them to come and gather around and then and want to play and be interested in um, and by that i don't mean just rules i mean like the whole thing that you're offering so you go i'm playing with burning wheel and it's in whatever world and whatever this is the setup and the situation that has to resonate with people but of course if you get the right people um once you get the right people then you can throw almost anything in front of them that you like actually but it's finding those right people and that's the key um and those people they're right for you because they're they're like you said calibrated is a good word like that 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 they're kind of in sync with you or fairly closely what you want and that's sort of you talk about white whale campaigns earlier on i think it's the white whale group that yeah (laughs) i'm i uh i yeah i'm i'm i've been very very lucky to to meet them Mm. they are they're great they're like we we've just uh, and since like that that burning wheel campaign we've just been playing i've tried to run another burning wheel campaign that was a that 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 was sort of a disaster not because of the group because of me um because i i tried to do things with it that just didn't gel that just didn't work and that i wasn't satisfied with and like that's the thing also I think there's a there's an there's a lot of focus on that whole thing that happens when GMs are frustrated that their players are not invested in the campaign or they're bored with the content they don't seem to take it seriously or they're burning out on it whatever they're losing interest. Yeah. But the real like poisonous thing so often is is when you're as a GM feeling like this is shit. This yeah. I mean this is this is terrible. Yeah. Why when when you lose that excitement about your own game. Mm-hmm. Um. It 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 really does. And I don't want to like torture this or overuse this, this this word, but it really just kind of kills it because it's mm. it's especially if 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 you probably like 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 you and I have have certain anxieties about our, our game, mm-hmm. um, kind of our game performance or whatever you might call it, our our input to the game, and it just feels like no matter uh no matter how great the players are, that greatness does not improve the game for you because you see just the the you see for the disaster that you feel it is and yeah. and that's uh that's awful that sucks because sometimes there is actually a good game going but you you cannot see it because something has gone wrong something some some cock has gone off some something's gone wrong that just messes up your entire perspective on that game yeah, yeah. and it has killed a lot of campaigns for me that feeling um and it's also one of the reasons why I try to not, bizarre as it sounds, I try to think about ideas, but I don't try to mm. think about where there's where those ideas will go. Mm. That's been my exercise lately in kind of of, of readjusting my attitude to to role playing. Is okay, this cool idea, where would that go? And these cool things are happening. I said, no, stop. That's not actually for you to answer. That is mm. for the for the game, the group when it's being played to answer. Throw stuff into that alchemical clockwork mysterious <laughs> thing that a gaming group is, and see what comes out the other side. Don't think about it because you will never be able to guess properly anyway. And if you think about it, if there are surprises, you're setting yourself up for that surprise is going to be an unpleasant one. 
so I just wanted I just wanted to say in relation to that feeling of this is shit, which is a love way you put that. Um, uh, that for me, like I'm, I'm, I'm only really recently realizing this. I mean, like last few months, really. But one of the biggest problems I've noticed as a GM is that I tend to get into what psychologists call emotional thinking. So, like, you believe that what you feel is true. So this feels shit. So it is rubbish. Mm. Uh, is kind of like where the logic is. And it doesn't matter. Like if you buy into this is how I feel, that's reality, then nobody telling you that um, like this is great. Actually, I'm really enjoying this is going to convince you if you've bought into I feel bad, therefore it is bad. Um, doesn't matter. They tell you that it's good because you can't feel that it's good. Right. And feeling is believing and real. Um, this is a real trap for, well, at least I've, I've found it to be a trap. And I think it's a common one. Talking to anxious people, should we say, I think is a common thing that when we feel uncomfortable, we believe that things have become uncomfortable and dangerous. You know, like actually the reality is that no, nobody else is feeling what I'm feeling. Um, actually, people are feeling very different things. And they can say, hey, it's a great session, really cool, really enjoying it. Or they can just be having a laugh and, you know, and, and everything else. But if you're sitting there as GM going, uh, this feels shit like you just said, like actually it kills it for you and you lose momentum and you can't you can't continue to present your ideas and adjudicate the game and roll and listen to the players. Like you said earlier, that some of the best game comes from when you were really tuned in and listening to the players. I think if all the voice, all you can hear is a voice in your head saying, this feels bad, this feels bad, this feels bad, this feels bad, you know, you can't tune into your players and listen to them. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, so I think like you're absolutely right. That, I mean, for me, the, the thing that kills my games is me. Um, and it's not actually like that I don't want it to succeed. It's that actually I feel something goes wrong. I fixate on it. And then I kind of allow that to become reality. And if you you listen to the podcast, you'll hear this happen. Like I will go, so this one thing went wrong. And then my players told me they had a really good time. And that was great. And, da, 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 da. and then I start fixating on the thing that went wrong and going, and it expands in your head. Well, that went wrong and obviously that's because of this and that's because of that and that's obviously because the whole thing's rubbish and I'm, I'm bad so I think like I just wanted to echo and, 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 and you know amplify that thing about like as a GM when you get it in your head that this is bad it's really hard to shift that mm, it is it is very hard and it's a it's a and it is it is so insidious because again your players might be having a wonderful game um but it's uh I mean I mean to sound to sound very very fancy about it 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 that that feeling of that this is bad really feels like oh I'm the only one in you know Plato's cave who's seeing yes. the flames right now and they are awful yeah. they um they <laughs> they're just horrible um because because again at, at, at this anxiety doesn't really strike me or hit me the same way when I'm a player yeah. It is when I when there is this extra layer of, of GM. I don't want to call it GM insight. I don't think the GM is a is a is a you know oracularly insightful individual in the way that he, the GM is not a god. Stop that. Oh my gosh. Um, but but um, there is there is that there is that added layer of, of how to approach the game and insight into what's going on behind the screen yeah. and all that. That yeah again you might feel like okay the shadows dancing on the wall they're fine apparently but like <laughs> yeah the light source that's that's creating them is just a mess and i don't like yeah. it yeah yeah 
Yeah, and of course, this breeds self-doubt and, and all yeah. the rest of it. And then, of course, talking about being in tune with players as well is like it, the thing about I, I try, I mean, I, I teach like philosophy and ethics, right? So try to talk to the kids about how easy it is to lose trust with somebody. And of course, if you exaggerate your enjoyment of something, the chances are that the GM is going to pick up on the exaggeration and they're then going to, if they're an anxious person, they're going to assume that you're lying. Yeah. Even though you're just really maybe just exaggerating a little bit because you want to encourage them. It's a really great game. It's really awesome. It's like, it's all right, isn't it? You know, and, and I think actually sometimes it's best to say, yeah, it's fine. You know, um, it's a laugh. I'm enjoying this character without over-egging it because if you over-egg it, uh, at least a GM like me is going to go, hmm, I don't think you're being entirely honest with me and then assume the worst. And uh, I think like the thing about like really communicating as player and GM with one another is like genuinely, totally honest, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is so hard to do, but in the end, I think is the secret. Um, and, it's, um, and that's, and, and even that is, is fraught with, with pitfalls of its own because sometimes that, that total honesty might, uh, might, might, might involve a negative response yeah. to something. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I I, I, f- I feel so blessed in, in in the group I have with with Paul and John because I feel like there are there are surprises but there are never unpleasant surprises you know yeah or or or, or twists and turns or surprises where I've gone really it's, no you can't be serious no <laughs> no um in that in that bad way where I feel like I'm put off um, yeah but if you if you're playing. It, it it is such a, it is such a strange balance because you want to have that honesty, but you also want to know that that kind of as we talked about earlier that you're calibrated in some way in terms of expectation, in terms of taste and subject matter. Because I mean, if someone uh, you know wants to play a game, I don't know. Is this I can't remember where I picked up this phrase, but I I, I heard at one point sometime in the midst of time where someone said that they didn't like games that were you know fantasy roommates, where it's very. Uh, very you know low stakes and it's really all about the little kind of witty moments between characters and yeah. and in a in a in a you know D game where you really should be out doing you know dangerous yeah. things and having adventures and whatnot and everyone but well but all the players are really just comfortable you know kind of having uh uh time uh, a cozy time and just yeah essentially playing fantasy roommates as it was <laughs> called and like that that just like it's it's i have, I have no interest in that sort of game i find it i find it incredibly tedious and boring um and just anyone who wants to, to who plays that way fine again i'm not saying it's a wrong yeah. way to play but it doesn't stimulate me whatsoever um and and if and there's there's there, there's a risk there that if i sit hypothetically in a situation where i would i would say this is absolutely not for me and that's my honest opinion you can be a party pooper you can be you know you're you're the mm-hmm. one bringing the mood down yeah so there's there's this balance between genuine honesty but also a willingness to roll with stuff mm-hmm. that you might initially not be entirely 100% on board with, but you want to see where it goes. Yep. And then this, I won't say 100%, but certainly very close resonance in what, what is it that you want from the game and mm. what is it that you, that you, that you are, what is it you're here for, essentially. Yeah. I think um, like, I think much longer conversations about what I want out of my gaming experience is something that we should do. Yeah, having these conversations about 
So what I'm looking for in my game is this experience, mm. what I really like to have. And I'm kind of open to, to different things. But, you know, really, like, you know, for me, if you know me, that's like in character, as character, as a player, please. But also, you know, kind of, can I go explore? So I, I don't really care too much on the specifics, but those are really big things for me. You know, can I go explore? Um whether that is explore physically the land or the characters or the relationships or whatever, but I want to go explore because that's what I got into role playing for. Mm. So if I can find some players who want to explore or who want to explore with me, you know, or provide me with that, and then uh, can let me be my character and and role play as my character, you know, then I'm a happy, very happy player. Um, remarkably hard to find people who want to do that actually. Uh, as you said earlier, sometimes you get surprised by what players, other people are happy doing, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, um, but that's not to say that there aren't a lot of other things in the game that I like and enjoy, but it's actually like the really primary thing. I think having that conversation, I mean, it doesn't have to be long, but I do think sometimes people don't know what they want really. And mm -hmm. so talk, I mean, I think one of the best bits of advice I ever came across on that one was from the angry GM, which was, sit down with guys and just ask them about the most memorable gaming experience they had and listen very carefully to the most memorable gaming experiences they had, the stories, mm. like you talked about earlier, tell me about your story of your great game. We're really tuning into it to figure it out what it is that they get excited about because that those things they remember were probably good games. Mm. And then, you know, like listening carefully to what it was, you'll probably be able to figure out some of the things that they were looking for in, in the games. And then you can go, okay, okay, I get that. And perhaps sometimes something they don't know they're looking for, but that is, it's a pattern in what is uh, their memorable moments. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So I think like having, but of course that can be like sitting down in a coffee shop or sitting down online and having these chats where you're like, so tell me about like your first most memorable game and then tell me about a recent most memorable game and, Tell me about the things you hated. Tell me about the game that's memorable because you really hated it. Tell me about that one. Because again, that helps me calibrate the other way. Um, but of course, I know plenty of people are like, can we just play? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so. And sometimes that's what you need. Sometimes you just need to play. It's And sometimes you don't. Sometimes you need this conversation. It's and, and and the frustrating thing here that I think I think it's a topic that we or it's a theme that we keep returning to is that there's no there's no there's no foolproof way mm -hmm. of conducting these things of doing it because i there's certainly some people that i that i even have if i haven't known them for that long i can say do you want to play mm -hmm. and they're like yeah. yeah and we play and we have a good time and there are others i've known for a long time where i feel like that conversation is going to be very necessary before we uh <laughs> we start rolling dice and uh and you know chopping heads off monsters or whatever well thomas thank, thanks so much for chatting i hope it's been okay for you Oh, it's been awesome. It's been good. It's good to meet you. And yeah, we've probably talked more, at least, you know, type more. Um, so yeah, it's good. I'll keep reading your stuff anyway. But no, it's, you know, thank you for reaching out because it's nice to meet people. Um, by the way, I tend to assume people wouldn't want to talk to me. Oh, no reason to. Not at all. No, it's, it's been great. It's been awesome. I'm, and thank you for taking the time. Thank you for, uh, uh, yeah. That's and fine. I mean, I, I would be, uh, uh i'd be lying if i uh if i said that uh i didn't i hope we or rather what i'm what i'm getting at is, is, is that uh i hope i hope one day we can play something that yeah. would be awesome um okay. and that uh because again we didn't even touch upon one of the things i actually mentioned which is the or, or reached out about which is this idea of of uh you know hero's journey-esque mm -hmm. kind of game which is like uh 
I won't say it's a white whale for me, but it's definitely gray, a gray whale, maybe, um, light gray. Um, I have, I have a lot of, <laughs> yeah, I like that image. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, let's, I mean, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll keep commenting on, on your stuff. I'll be, uh, I'll be in touch and, uh, mm. yeah, I hope, I hope we can, I hope we can talk again sometime. Yeah, it'd be good. We'll find time. That's fine. <laughs> awesome. All right. Be well. Have a good evening. Catch you too. Stay safe. Yes. Bye. That's it. Thank you once again to Thomas, a.k.a. Augury Ignored, for coming on the show. If you want to read more from him, the link to his blog is in the show notes. Thanks to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Your support is continuing to fund the School D&D Club, which we talked about at the start of the episode, and, well, quite a few other things too. Thank you to John from Telemanticore for the Roleplay Rescue theme music. But most of all, thank you to you for showing up and listening, especially if you got all the way to the end. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. I'll see you again on the flip side. Game on.